And so this morning, I'm going to focus, we're going to focus our time on that time between Easter and the resurrection, not the resurrection, between the resurrection and the ascension. And I want to focus in on a conversation that is really important. And it was a conversation between Jesus and Peter. And I don't know about you, but I've often thought about what Easter was like for Peter. It had to have been a mixed bag. So we're going to look at, together, we're going to look at the conversation that Jesus and Peter had. And I actually tried to Google it to figure out exactly how long after the resurrection, but Google didn't even know that. So So I don't know, but it's somehow, somewhere in between when Jesus resurrected and the ascension. So we're going to look at John 21. Uh, verse starting at verse 15 together and it's on page 769 in your pew bibles when they had finished eating jesus said to simon peter simon son of john do you truly love me more than these yes lord he said you know that i love you jesus said feed my lambs Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. We can't really talk about this conversation without the context of what happened the Thursday night before Easter. Because the do you love me takes on a whole different meaning in light of the conversation that Peter and Jesus had Thursday night before the resurrection. But I wonder what Peter was sitting with in this conversation. I wonder what it felt like to be sitting there with Jesus and him asking, Peter, do you really love me? How would you have felt? I don't even know if I would have wanted the conversation. Ever feel that way? Like, there's just some things that are just too embarrassing or too awful to even kind of want to face. So let's just go back and look at what happened that Thursday. And it is in Luke 
uh, chapter 20, let's see, chapter 22. And I'm actually going to pick it up in uh, verse 31. Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you turn back, strengthen the brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison and to death. It's like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Are you questioning my loyalty? Are you questioning, like, how faithful I've been to you, Jesus? Are you questioning how, like, I, I'm in with you? We're tight. You don't have to worry about me. But then right after that, Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny three times that you even knew me. Wow. That's got to have hurt. You've got to be kidding me. Not me, Jesus. Not me. But it's not many hours later that we pick up Peter's story again in verse 56 of the same chapter. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you're also one of them. Man, I'm not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he was a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. What happened? What in the world happened? In that short amount of time, Peter declaring his undeniable love for Jesus, and then a few hours later, I don't even know him. How does that happen? So, was the earlier thing just a fake? Was Peter lying? I actually think Peter was pretty sincere. 
I thought, I think he really believed that. Oh my goodness, Jesus, nothing could separate me from you. I will go to death with you. But what Peter was unaware of was his need to self-protect and that his need to self-protect would override his ability to love. How does my need to self-protect override my ability to love? I think about in my life, who would I say to, who would I say, I would die for you, I got you. Who do I have unconditional love for? The first people that come to my mind are my kids. How does my need to self-protect keep me from loving my kids? I'm going to tell you a story from way back. It's not that I can't think of any more recent ones, because I have a lot. But when David was four years old, we were living in Northboro at a time, and I had set up a play date for him. I hadn't told him that I'd set up a play date for him, but, I mean, who doesn't want a play date? So I set it up with Trish, who lived in Westboro, with Joel. Well, I didn't set it up with Trish. I said, well, I set it up with Trish for Joel and David to get to play together. And so Trish said, okay, I'll come and pick up David. I don't mind driving over. I'll come to your house, pick him up. And Trish and Joel come to the door. David's up in his room. And I answer the door and I go, David, Jolie's here to play with you. And David yells down, I don't want to go to Jolie's house. Could they hear that? Like, ah. yeah, David, they're here to pick you up. No, I don't want to go. I don't want to play with Jolie. And I'm running upstairs. Shh. <laughs> and I gave him like these really angry eyes. Shh. You don't say that. You don't say that. David! Be nice. Be nice, because this is not what I said, but this is what I said. Be nice. Do you know how bad you're making me look in front of Trish? I can't afford to go down with you. I can't afford to look bad, especially in front of the people that I want to think we're pretty great. And you just don't say stuff like that. Now they're going to think we don't like them, yada, 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 all this stuff. I actually can't remember if David went to Jolie's house or not, 
because that's not what stuck with me. <laughs> what stuck with me were these feelings of, oh my, how quickly I will sacrifice you for me. I was reading the Lent devotional from Biola this past month, and in one of the readings it puts it this way. The human tendency is towards self-preservation, self-protection, and self-fulfillment. That's the natural posture of how human life is lived. Wow. That's sobering. That's very sobering. So no matter how much I try to be really all about love, I inevitably choose me over you. That means that I can't be the good person I really want to be. It reminds me of the dilemma that we read about in Romans 7. In Romans 7, Paul puts it this way in verse 15 through 18. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, I no longer as it is, where am I? <laughs> no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. This is what Peter experienced. He really wanted to do good. He really wanted to stick with Jesus no matter what. But he experienced this. And so here Peter is, after Jesus died and rose from the dead, sitting with Jesus with this reality like right here. Yikes. Because in John 21, it says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Wow. But there's something very different about the conversation on that Thursday night before Easter and this conversation. Clearly, Peter's words meant very little. But what was different? Peter had no more illusions about his own goodness. He had no more illusions about his ability to love. 
but maybe the fact that the illusions of his own goodness were gone opened up a new possibility. Jesus had an earlier conversation, an earlier encounter with a woman in Luke 7. This woman very clearly knew that she had lived a sinful life. She didn't have any illusions about her own goodness. And she comes to Jesus, and it says about her that having lived a sinful life, she was so overwhelmed with who Jesus was and his amazing love for her that she came to Jesus when he was sitting with these other people and, um, and just walked into the room just with tears of gratitude, tears of overflowing love. And she was literally washing Jesus' feet, feet with her tears. She was overwhelmed. And then wiping his feet with her hair. Oh my goodness, what a scene. And others were very offended. This is just not okay. This is like inappropriate. This kind of outpouring of passion and love is inappropriate. But what Jesus says in Luke 7 Verse 47, he said, Therefore I tell you, all of you offended ones, all of you good ones, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little Loves little. If you've been forgiven much, you will love much. Have you been forgiven much? Back to Jesus' conversation with Peter at the fire. In verse 17, it says, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. Peter was hurt. Do you hear like in that, do you hear like a humility and a pain in that that there wasn't the Thursday night before the crucifixion? There's a pain in a, in a humility because Jesus knows everything. No more illusions. I'd read a piece in a devotional that speaks to that hurt. I'm going to share with you. It's from Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest 
Um, unless we get hurt right out of every deception about ourselves, the word of God is not having its way with us. The word of God hurts as no sin can ever hurt because sin blunts feeling. The question of the Lord intensifies feeling until to be hurt by Jesus is the most exquisite hurt conceivable. It hurts not only in the natural way, but in the profound personal way. The word of the Lord pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. There is no deception left. There's no possibility of being sentimental with the Lord's question. You can't say nice things when the Lord speaks directly to you. The hurt is too terrific. It is such a hurt that it stings every other concern out of account. There never can be any mistake about the hurt of the Lord's word when it comes to his child. But the point of the hurt is the great point of revelation. It hurts because it exposes the very thing that keeps me from surrender. It hurts because it exposes my pride. It exposes my need to be good. Or maybe not even my need to be good, but the need to be seen as good. It hurts. Because sometimes we talk about grace as such a wonderful thing, but sometimes I would just rather be good enough. It hurts, and only Jesus can speak to me in that way that I almost don't want to come running to him, but it's the great point of a whole new way, a whole new way. God brought an amazing girl into my life about 10 years ago, And God has really used her to expose my heart and teach me about love, pierce my heart, maybe more than anybody else in my life. And so I want to share with you a little season that I had with Nicole. She had come to live with us right out of lockup and it was super exciting because she's this amazing person who really had connected with her hunger for God and her brokenness. And so she came to live with us and it was amazing for a few months. And then Nicole decided to take off. And she went back to the streets and she went lower, I think, than maybe she ever had. And she got involved with a very toxic situation, relationship, and um, 
was devastating and really felt like we had lost Nicole. Prayed for her every day, excruciatingly painful time. Well, Nicole came back. It wasn't all beautiful, but she came back. And she was in a struggle. But I had written in my journal because I think she came back on a Friday. It was on a Friday or a Saturday. And um, it was Memorial Day weekend. And so I'm writing, I'm, I wrote in my journal, actually on Memorial Day, so I'm, I'm reflecting back on Sunday. Memorial Day, so much to be thankful for. And I praise you. Yesterday was amazing. I give you and you alone the glory, God. I'm becoming so sure of you and so clear about being open and staying out of the way for you to do your work. Nicole chose to go to church. The sermon was on, who do you say I am? It was perfect. She chose to go to feed the homeless after church, and she sang worship songs. She sang Jesus' name above all names. Wow, you're too funny, Lord. Then last night, she came home and said that she doesn't want to do all this negative stuff anymore. And then she called the guy and told him that she can't even be his friend and needs to move on with her life. Wow, so... Lord, in the name of Jesus, keep those chains broken that were broken last night. We talked about forgiveness. Bring her to that place quickly, Lord. You may already have done it. I thank you, Jesus. I feel so called to walk this one out with her. Thank you for giving me the desires of my heart. I feel like this is training ground for both Nicole and I and for the girls that you're going to be giving to us, Lord, you're just so amazing. It was so great. It was like one of those, like, ah, like God is like, talk about resurrection. Scott and I went away for a getaway the following weekend, actually, that Nicole had asked people to donate money so that we could have a getaway. It was like crazy. It was like, wow. And then she stayed with the kids. So while we were away, I couldn't wait to get back and connect with Nicole and move on and really felt like God had this ministry for the two of us together. And so after the weekend, when we returned home, Nicole had left what and so and she said she had gone to Framingham so it wasn't actually back to the other bad part but okay so she left and then I couldn't get a hold of her and I kept texting her kept calling her and so it was like for about a week and I was like wow what's going on Finally, she answered the phone. And I could just kind of sense like it, she was like different. 
but like things were so good, so it was like, you know, let's get together, let's, let's, let's talk. So we set up a time to talk. We met at Friendly's in Westboro. When we sat down across from each other, she seemed annoyed. And I was feeling anxious. I just wanted to hold her to like, do you remember what you said Sunday night? Like how you really want to move forward with God? Like, do you remember that? Like, can we just like, can we just like get, get to where we gotta, gotta go, Nicole? Can we just like, really? And I was sitting across from her and like, her eyes weren't even really connecting with me. And after like my attempts of just kind of reining it in, do you ever have those feelings? You just kind of like gotta rein it in. She looked at me. And she said, Hannah, I don't need your input. I don't need your judgment. You think you help people, but you don't. It's the first time I'd been with Nicole that we left without giving each other a hug. And I drove home. I was crying. I called Scott, told him how devastated I was. 30 years of my life, I poured into these kids, and I don't help anybody. They don't want my input. And Nicole, of all people that we really connected with, I got up the next morning and said, Lord, I am so in need of your grace today. I'm stuck in a place of being consumed with myself and poor me. How can your love pour, flow through me when I'm so feeling sorry for myself? The time with Nicole went so bad I spoke into her life out of turn. That's what it seemed like. I was not coming from a place of flowing. Just get it out. So I did the responsible thing. She laughed back with how I don't understand her at all. I felt really hurt, and the whole thing went south from there. So I can just make her bad, or I can own my part, but not really sure what that is. Just trying to redeem myself? Lord, show me the way. And a few days later, June 11th, I've been sitting here with you for two hours now, Lord and I don't hear you speaking to me. Is this what you have for me right now? For me to just wait patiently for you, trust you when I hear and see no signs or words from you? 
not sure what you're asking of me with Nicole. Show me where there's sin in me. Show me if I should write to Nicole or wait or wait for an opening. I'm willing to do whatever you have. And then the next day, Father, I feel like I'm getting desperate. Not knowing what you're asking me to do in this situation with Nicole. I'm willing to do nothing. Well, probably not. <laughs> That's nice. I'm willing to do nothing. And I'm willing to connect with her. I will wait for you and for your prompting. Speak, Lord. I will listen. Work in my heart, Lord, to be ready for what you want to say and do in me. What are the things that I'm not seeing? Open my heart, Lord. Do you ever feel desperate like that? Like, oh my goodness, desperate. Well, God is like amazing. And so I asked him, I told him I was ready to listen. And in the devotional that day, he had something to say to me. Hmm. This is what he said. Does it not happen all too often that the victims of our love, if, I, if the victims of our love dare to speak, they would plead, oh, please love me less, but leave me free. I'm a prisoner of your love. Because you love me, you want to determine my life. You want to shape all my happiness. If only you did not love me, I could be myself. Does that not happen all too often between parents and children, friends and husbands and wives? How costly our love is to others and how cheap it is for us. Wow. So I copied that and just sent it in a text to Nicole and said, I think this might be how you feel. So then, the next day, I sent Nicole a text yesterday, owning my part, sweeping my side of the sidewalk. Now the struggle inside of me becomes that I want a certain response back. Wow! Wow! Even when I let go, I still want to control the outcome. Amazing! The reading in my utmost was about giving up the right to myself. Do I really entrust my whole self to you, or do I need certain outcomes in order to be okay? This is really what's up for me right now. Is it possible to believe a vision for Nicole and take my hands off the process? I really wanted a response from her yesterday. So glad I didn't get it for my sake. It really exposed the very thing I was asking for forgiveness for. I wasn't really giving it up. I was just using it manipulatory. What? Lord, I lay it down for the umpteenth time. 
Thank you that I can trust you with me, with her, with each person in my life that I have hopes and dreams for. I learned a lot about myself. And I learned a lot about my need to be good. Make a difference. Be the savior. I learned a lot about that. But did you hear in it? Did you hear how full of fear I was? In John 4, it says, there is no fear in love. So I can be sure. I'm detecting a little fear. I am not loving you. If I'm a little anxious about how you're going to turn out, that's what I'm giving to you. And it's not freedom and love. I experienced the devastation of Romans 7. The really, really good news is Romans 7 it doesn't end there. It does not end there. The encounter with Jesus that Peter had was not about condemnation. It was not about, wow, do you see how bad you are? Romans 7 goes into Romans 8. It's a nice thing it didn't get cut off there. So in Romans 8, therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. When Peter sat down with Jesus after the resurrection... That is the love he encountered. He encountered the resurrection of Jesus Christ in you, in you, Peter. And now with the humility and the exposure of your heart that can be so painful, now that there's a possibility of death. Otherwise, we fight death. Until we see how devastating it is in me. I will not die. But then I will experience no resurrection. I will experience no life. But out of that place, that's when Jesus can say to Peter, Now feed my sheep. Now you have something to feed my sheep. Not your goodness, not your promises, 
but resurrection life. And that is where I get to walk, really in Galatians 2.20, where it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Like, it doesn't have to be Hannah's goodness. I don't have to be the Savior, because Christ lives in me, and the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That is good news. That is good news. Do you love me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your gospel and that we need it. I pray, Jesus, that I would not run from your grace because I'm embarrassed or too proud or want to be so good, but that I really would get how desperate I am and how amazingly merciful and loving you are. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.